Hello, my name is Torque, and I would like to record a shout out to David Sawa. Is that, I think it's like a Jawa, but I think it's different. Who sent in and donated to the Critical Hit podcast, but, uh, since I don't know what a podcast is and, and the robot told me to say this, I'm saying to shout out to you. And the shout out goes like this. Thank you for your time. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Anata Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, three rules to live by. If someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. If you have to choose between your girlfriend and having your evil duplicate melt your eyes, always go for the snuggle bunnies. And if they ask you if you can walk on a treadmill for an hour, tell them no. They can shoot you with something that'll do the same thing. <laughs> also, Vietnam veterans fighting gorillas. And I'm sure a woman with your qualifications will have no trouble finding a career in either the food service or housekeeping industries. Plus, X-Men 3... You better have some maggot, that's all I'm saying. Remember, we were born six guns in our hands, and that's why they call us Bad Company. And of our hosts tonight, one's got a weasel and one's got a flag. One's on the stick, throw the other in the bag. do see do your partner and count the days till the rational guy comes back. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Matthew, welcome. Hello. I would say hello. hello. I'm not Rodrigo. <laughs> I'm here to be not Rodrigo tonight. Hello. Yeah, I it's would say to hi to Rodrigo. Rodrigo. Yes, it is good. Hello. I would say that uh, it would be good to see Rodrigo, except I can't see him because he's in the great state of Ohio for the next couple of weeks celebrating the holidays and I guess some other things. Have you been following Rodrigo on the Twitter? Uh, I, I follow him on the Facey space. Have you been following him on the, uh, have you been following Mika Tan on the Twitter? I have not been following Mika Tan on the Twitter. I'm still heartbroken about Angela Devi. Yes. So I got that going for me. Uh, there's an obscure porn reference for anybody who uh, who knows what that's all about. So anyway, Matthew, let's talk about some news as we wind up. This is actually our last regular show of 2009. Point of order, none of our shows are actually regular. Well, as far as a regular format. Irregular. You see, how we do the show is we talk about news, right. and then we talk about some reviews. Reviews! And then we talk about the major spoilers poll of the week. Poll of the week, 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 week. Poll. And then, of course, we talk about our trade paperback that we're reviewing. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debut tonight my trade paperback song. Okay. Are you ready? Do I need to get out my ukulele? Oh, that would be cool, but no. Oh, darn, because I got it right Dog, here. Dogs in the tri-state area are wishing that you would. <laughs> and it goes like this. This is the new trade paperback song, the opening song for the trade paperback <laughs> review. This is the song that we shall sing before we review trade paperbacks. I'm almost halfway finished, and Steven still can't. <laughs> you know, if you would have let me know ahead of time, I probably could have played that in the ukulele. It's not Man, that hard. It's a two- There's a script for this. <laughs> So, uh, so this was the last regularly, 
uh, not scheduled show, but the one format. that follows our regular format. Because next week, and I'm going to plug this a couple more times in the show, next week on Tuesday, we're going the to have- The greatest moments of 2009. Yes, thank you for stepping on that. The best and worst of 2009. And it's not just going to be Matthew and I and, and a phone call from Rodrigo that's talking about what we thought the best and worst of 2009 was. It's all going to be about you guys phoning it in and telling us what you thought the best and the worst of 2009 is. Now, there's a couple of ways you can do this. Obviously, you can phone us on the Major Spoilers hotline, which is the one way that I prefer it, at 785-727-1939. That's the way I'd like you to do it. But if you want to record your voice and email it to us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com, or if you would like to just post a comment on the Major Spoilers site or in the best of 2009 thread over at the Major Spoilers forum, we're going to collect and gather those, and we're just going to have a fun time for next Tuesday's show. A fun time was had by all. And remember, anyone whose comments are written will be read in a Papa voice because that's the rules. <laughs> uh, major spoiler. Matthew does not speak officially for major spoilers. So there you go. Actually, I'm pretty much the only one that does. Oh, okay. Hey, did you hear about the news? Yes, let's talk about some news, Matthew. Attention, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Are you ready for Ghostbusters 3 in 2010? Now, Sigourney Weaver hinted to this in one of her uh, press junkets promoting the Avatar movie, which has just come out. Junket. Junket. Uh, Then we had some confirmations that said, yes, indeed, this was from uh, Harold Ramis, I believe, saying, yes, indeed, they are working on a script. Oh, I'm sorry. Ivan Reitman said this, that they are indeed working on a Ghostbusters 3 script. It's currently being worked on for possibly a 2010 shoot date. Now, no one's... Everyone's keeping quiet on what the um, storyline is going to be about, but most people have pretty fi- much figured it out that if you're telling a movie that happened 20 years later, you're going to be introducing a new series of Ghostbusters. You're kind of rebooting the franchise by still having the old guys around. Uh, I find this interesting because one of the people up for the new guys, Matthew, as far as rumors go, and of course these are always rumors, Dane Cook. Not a big fan of Dane Cook. Dane Cook's okay, but you have to you have to take him in in little bits. Yes. The question is not preferably chopped up little bits uh, buried in the, a the sack. The question is not are are we ready for <laughs> Ghostbusters three? The question is is Dan Aykroyd's prostate ready? <laughs> because if you look at it, Aykroyd and Murray are both like fifty six. I yeah, think. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ramus is a little older. Ramus is like 65. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not that unheard of for them to come back. Oh, no. I don't know if you no. ever saw the movie Space Cowboys with like, yeah, Clint yeah, Eastwood with, and somebody else. Yeah, like it's got seven. James Garner and it had, uh, the guy from, uh, The Fugitive and The Men in Black and I forget who the fourth What's one really is. weird, I think, is that Ernie Hudson is, uh, one of the oldest of the group, even though it, it, I thought he was my thinking was ones. that Winston would be younger. Yeah. Well, he's uh, supposedly they've got everybody back, including Bill Murray, who's on board, who at one point said the only way that he would return to Ghostbusters is if he actually got to play a ghost. Now, that that would would be be an interesting and funny, I think, funny uh, movie hook. If the original Ghostbusters are dead and these new Ghostbusters have to save them. That would be cool. And and Bill Murray gets to play a ghost, uh, the ghost of Venkman. Yes. And assist these young, these new Ghostbusters, if you will, these extreme Ghostbusters, if you will. 
in their uh, their activities. I think it would be great. I think it would be good if you can get uh, William Atherton back as Walter Peck. Yeah. You, sir, because... are a dick. No, sir, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> All right. So we can look for that maybe being shot in 2010. Of course, most people would probably see that shot around New York City. If you do a search, I believe io9.com had this really great comparison of some of the city landmarks that they shot in for the first Ghostbusters movie, and then they went and compared them today, and it's like totally different to see how much has changed in a location over, what, 20, 25 years, however long it's been. So we will look forward to that in 2010 for shooting. Uh, Probably we will see it in theaters, I would imagine, 2012, right before the apocalypse. Oh, speaking of the apocalypse, Matthew, (laughs) Brian Singer... (laughs) has officially signed on to direct the third <laughs> X-Men movie. Oh, now that's a transition, my friend. <laughs> so the man who brought us Superman as a deadbeat dad is now returning well, to the X-Men universe. Not only a deadbeat dad, but a stalker at the same time. A home-wrecking, stalking, Superman deadbeat dad. Yeah, because that's a good plan. Um, you know, I like I the first X-Men movie. I will say that. I, I actually like the, like the second X-Men. one, too. Which I did one? not care for the second one so much, although I like the third one. What third one? X3. What was that one about? Uh, that's the one where Cyclops was atomized. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was the <laughs> the, the Dark Phoenix one. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, was more okay. kind of a an off-white Phoenix, really. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, see, the thing about Singer is, is, is he writing? Is he directing? Well, he's a directing is what uh, the confirmation okay. that came out of Variety, I believe. So this is the thing. We can blame Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. For X, <laughs> for X3 all we want. Right. But that movie was written by actors and created pretty much by committee. Right. So I don't know that Brian Singer would have delivered that much different a film. Right. I'm more interested in what the treatment is, what okay, the time so frame is. Okay, so here's the treatment. It's going to be X-Men First Class. But there's a problem. Okay. You can't sell X-Men First Class. Why it not? You've got w- Beast, you've got the Angel, you've got the Iceman, you've got Jean Grey and Cyclops. But in the I mean, X-Men everybody's, everybody's favorite X-Men. It is established that Iceman is much younger and that the Angel didn't show up until much later. Right. Jean Grey and Cyclops are in their 30s. The Beast is like 57. Iceman's 22, and I think the angel was the kid from Fast Forward, so he was like 19. Well, you just you just take them back to when they were young. You know what they're going to do? I'll they're bet gonna you They're going to get even... Shia LaBeouf in it, I bet. Yeah, that'll be awesome. <laughs> what I think they're going to do is they're going to do X-Men First Class with the most popular characters and stick right. them together and have another alternate reality, which... <sighs> Did you read the uh, First Class comic? Have you read, yeah, read that Jeff series? Parker rules. Okay, is it so? It is a good good series for people to be picking up on. It's interesting See, as long as you can accept the central conceit, which is that these are stories which took place in between the recorded adventures of the X Men. Ah, okay. So X Men fifteen, sixteen, all these things happen. They fight the Sentinels, and then they have some downtime. And so they that's what Mag- First Class you know, is about. And then First Class happens in between. Ah, okay. There's a really cool issue of First Class where they meet um, X fifty. The precursor to Aaron Stack, X-51, mm. which is interesting. And I believe they did have a crossover with the Agents of Atlas at one point, so they must be awesome. Well, 
you know, I think some people, maybe some commenters had posted this over on the Majorspoilers.com website. I think some of them are, are concerned that what they're going to do is take the Emma Frost and all those other younger characters from the Wolverine movie, and mm-hmm. they're going to be the characters in X-Men First Class. But, of course, Why would we, there be a problem with that? Well, I don't know. I guess some people have a problem because it wouldn't include the Beast or Jean Grey or Scott... Uh, Scott Summers or any of those guys. Do you remember when Bendis rebooted the Avengers about five years ago? Uh, you know, I can't remember. I, all I about know is it took place about years five ago, years ago. Brian Bendis rebooted the Avengers and brought in characters like Wolverine and Spider-Man and Luke Cage. Right. So they've now been Avengers for nearly half a decade. Right. Avengers people still come in the store and refer to them as not real Avengers. Ah, Okay. So the thing is not who's there or how long they've been there. Is is it going to be any good? Right. Um, you know, I can't say that they're necessarily going to deliver a wonderful movie or not, but I can tell you that even if they do give us, you know, the adventures of Deadpool and Emma Frost and Baby Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike, it, it could mm-hmm. still be good mm-hmm. if you accept the fact that X-Men movie continuity is already completely cluster oh, of course it from is. a comic book perspective. Of course it is. So... You know, it's going to be based on the idea that uh, Charles Xavier and Magneto are involved in the creation of the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning and that it's masquerading as the the, X, the headquarters for the X-Men. So that's all we know right now. We'll have to wait, but I'm sure the nerd rage will start building and foaming among certain people before we get too far down the line. Geek smash! <laughs> that's what you got to go for for Halloween. Matthew, just what? strip down Geek to a pair oh. of yeah, strip down to a pair of uh, purple uh, pants and paint yourself green and run around with Geek Rage. I, I was thinking what I would do is I would get red shorts and a blue shirt and a ponytail, mm-hmm. and then I could pass as the comic <laughs> book guy and turn him green. I, I was thinking of just putting on a, a one of those giant wrestling speedos and going as the Blob. Worst reference ever. <laughs> okay, first of all, I want to say this to all fat people: every year. Wizard holds a contest and says, dress up as your favorite hero or villain. And every year, somebody dresses up as the blob or the kingpin because they're the only people who are appropriate to your body type. Right. And I want to say this to you as a friend, as a colleague, as a 375-pound man. Stop doing this. Wizard just wants to mock you. Well, I seriously... They're the popular kids who want to point and laugh. You're Carrie White, okay? And Wizard has put a bucket of blood in the ceiling, Not just blood, and they're blood, telling you blood. to come out and put on this crown so that they can drop a bucket of blood on you and knock out the greatest American hero, and so the mom from Eight is Enough can laugh, and then you got to kill everybody. And it's kill, just kill, kill, kill. not worth the source, okay? And the girl, the girl from you know, the girl from that one movie with the thing, and then John Travolta will die, and there will be this weird sequence where oh, you're walking. John Travolta. Yeah, but there the big benefit is there is that scene at the beginning where every all the girls are nude in the shower. So they're fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, stay tuned. Uh, if you want to check out some more news, head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. News every day, including sometimes on holidays when we have our act together. You should check that site out and uh, stick around. We've got reviews coming up just right after this. This issue of the Major Spoilers podcast is brought to you by Past Generation Toys. With action figures from DC and Marvel, there's bound to be an action figure for you. Visit them on the web at pastgenerationtoys.com. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Thanks so much for Past Generation Toys for sponsoring the show. 
You know what you guys could do for us this holiday season? Head over to the Majorspoilers.com website and all the ads, the ones for Megacon, the ones for Past Generation Toys, heck, even the, the ones for, the, ones for uh, the Erotic Beef the uh, and, and the uh, Netflix stuff. Just go ahead and click on them, even if you don't want to check them out. Now, I will tell you, Erotic Beef is an adults-only webcomic, so you might be careful about that. Uh, but check on, you know, just click on everything. Those clicks generate income for us, and that's the best way to say thank you, is by giving us money without giving us money. So... By giving us someone else's money. Yes, someone else's money. Always appreciate it. Because the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> is somebody else's cash. <laughs> I'm not saying you should go to mommy and daddy's uh, wallets well, and, and purses and mail all those little green pieces of paper to Uncle Slash. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. What you what are saying, saying, though, Matthew, is it is time for review. I think Rodrigo should go first. Oh, wait. Rodrigo's Hello. not here. I am Rodrigo, and I am going to review something. Well, this let's see. Let's see. Book. Here, wait a minute. Let's it see. It probably what should... features a girl whose bikini is made of rubber Oh, perfect. Cement. Here we go. Have Rodrigo review Power Girl number seven from DC Comics. Just came out last, last week. It does feature a girl in a rather tight, revealing uh, costume. And uh, Rodrigo would say... It was a book, and she had the boobies, and I liked it. All right, there we go. Thank you so much, not Rodrigo. Uh, this week I we picked just up. Call him not Rigo. Not Rigo. Okay. Funny. <laughs> All right. So this week I picked up Ghostbusters, the fourth, the fourth installment of Ghostbusters: Displaced Aggression. Now, for those of you who haven't been following this series from IDW, a god, a son, nephew, something of Gozer from the first movie. Has third cousin, ex ex husband. We'll call him Bob because I can't find his name right here in the fourth issue. Gozer, I. There you go. He gets all up in arms because of <laughs> what they did to uh, to Gozar, the Gozerian, and so he scatters the Ghostbusters uh, throughout time. And so we saw they asked Gozer nicely to go to the nearest convenient alternate dimension. Exactly. And did they do it? No. So this one features them finally back in the present and all hell is breaking loose literally as hell on earth has arrived. Uh, the three Ghostbusters are running around and they discover that Winston has was not blown back in time, but he has in fact been working in the underground resistance move, uh, movement trying to uh, keep uh, the demons in check. And so this is a great big battle issue. Uh, there's some great lines if you're a fan of Ghostbusters, if you're a fan of witty writing. There are some great little shticks right in there, here and there. Uh, some great action as we see, you know, demons getting blown up and we see uh, proton packs doing their thing. And of course, once they destroy the demon, everything goes back to nor normal and we close out the uh, the main story with, next time something like this happens, people, who you going to call? And everybody shouting Ghostbusters, and then the music breaks out, and uh, Rodney Dangerfield uh, shows up, and everybody's having a rockin' time. Hey, now, we're all gonna go get laid! <laughs> <laughs> so, as I mentioned, Matthew, we have all four of the Ghostbusters yes. in the story, but we're missing one important member of the Ghostbusting team. Janine Melnitz! Exactly! From my staff! She was rocketed back in time to Versailles in 1780... And she actually becomes a Ghostbuster in uh, in France of the time. She even creates her own. Uh, I believe in France it's called Le Ghostbuster. <laughs> she creates her own proton packs. And, uh, of course, it has 
the Ghostbusters in their with cheese in their Ecto One time machine, traveling back in time and saving her at the last minute. But she says, "I'm going to need a promotion for all the extra time that she did kicking ghosts in the past." Now, two different artists on this on this story. And let me see if I can find them really quick. Um, well, it does say art and colors by the same. Oh, okay, yeah, it is the art by the same person. Although I will say that it's uh, Ilias or yeah, Ilias Krasis. Oh boy, I can't even pronounce this name. You think Igor I have Stravinsky. it? Yes, Igor Stravinsky. Uh, his art in the first story is really, really good, and he does some great facial work. He gr- does great body stuff. But then in this backup story, man, he <coughs> takes a different approach to the art, which is something that when you look at it. Oh, no. Okay, here we go. Ilias wrote the backup story, illustrated by Michael Dialanis. Uh, so well, it, it is two different art people. It is a different style. I'm not sure I like the backup art in this issue because it's really a huge break from the main story. And considering that this is kind of like a little um, prologue, no, not prologue, uh, afterthought to the epilogue. story, epilogue, I really, think they should have, I really think they should have kept it in the same art style. Overall, right. Ghostbusters Displaced Aggression is a great, fun little series. The entire four issues have been a lot of fun because we get to see how the Ghostbusters deal with things in different time periods. We saw Vinkman in the uh, in the Old West. We saw Egon in the future, and we saw Ray in medieval times. Uh, we saw a, a time-traveling Ecto-1 uh, spinning around. Lots of great humor in this series. Lots of great action. I highly recommend picking it up when it when it does hit a trade. For issue four, great ending, great action. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf. Excellent. Yes. And uh, apparently there's a tease for the next series. Who are you going to call this season? Ghostbusters Past, Present, and Future. Ghostbusters so looks, Electric Boogaloo. Looks like we might be getting a uh, Christmas Carol treatment of the Ghostbusters. That'd be kind of cool. That would be. So. Venkman's already played Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, let's see if that's who they have. Yes, Venkman as Scrooge. Or at least he's the one taking center stage. So there you go. Hey, Venkman takes center stage. That's what Venkman does. Yes. All right. So that's my review. IDW Publishing. There's a lot of great stuff coming out of that company. We'll be talking maybe more about them next week. In the future. Yes. Hi, how are you? My name's Matthew. <laughs> Matthew, Welcome what do you got for us this week? This week, I delve back into the Dark Reign. Marvel Comics, I don't I know if you're familiar with them. They're away a, from my mic when I breathe. Dark Reign. They're a little uh, publishing firm out of New York. Uh, really? Uh, yeah, not many people heard of them. I, I, oh, but, I, uh, I know. This is that little company that Disney picked up a few months ago. Yeah, you know the one. Ah, uh, that's right. I knew I heard of them somewhere. This issue, Thunderbolts 139. It's also fun to say Chunderbolts because Chunder (laughs) is how Australian people say vomit. Or you could say Thunderbolts. You could, but Chunderbolts is even funnier. Okay. Uh, The cover of this issue hooked me. I I, I honestly, Thunderbolts has been on a maybe or maybe not basis the last few months. The front cover shows Scourge, Mm -hmm. one of the members of the Thunderbolts, Fighting Gorilla Man, Ken Hale, from the Agents of Atlas. And I'm like, oh, got to have that. Mm, okay. Um, basically, in the last several issues, the ranks of the Thunderbolts are being thinned. We're down to like four people. Ant-Man, Paladin, the Headsman, 
Mr. X and Scourge, which is actually five, but you know, counting is not my strong suit. <laughs> um, and, uh, we open with the introduction of a new member who ironically, one of the first comics I ever bought featured the Grizzly, this minor Spider-Man villain who wears a, 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 a grizzly suit. See, okay. He's, he's like a human bear and he punches things, but the Grizzly joins the Thunderbolts. Okay. And, of course, the Thunderbolts are sent out to take down the Agents of Atlas. Several months ago in Agents of Atlas, Jimmy Woo performed this big scam to where they put Norman Osborn's butt in the fire. And Norman is now sending in his uh, Black Ops team to undermine them. So the basis of this story is the Thunderbolts trying to break into one of Atlas's headquarters mm -hmm. and blow it up. Mm-hmm. They successfully do it, but nearly kill themselves or kill one another in the process. And it comes down once again to we get to the end of the issue. And in the last, the last few months, there's been sort of a, a moral dilemma in that half the Thunderbolts are completely amoral killers. Right. And about a third of the Thunderbolts are actually good, you know, good people who are in a weird situation. Have they been duped? Have they been paid off? What's the deal? Well, Paladin's a mercenary and is working for money. Okay. Ant-Man is trying to stay under government radar because he stole his Ant-Man suit. Mm-hmm. And the ghost... Now, is no this Ant-Man that used to be Yellow Jacket that used to be Giant-Man? This is the Ant-Man from the Incorrigible Ant-Man. Ah, okay. From 2005-ish. Okay. His name is Eric, and he stole one of Hank Pym's armored suits. Okay. But about halfway through the issue, they get into this moral dilemma. And, of course, the agents of Atlas show up. And I just want to say uh, the art is handled by a gentleman named Sepulveda. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me find his name. Miguel uh, Sepulveda. Miguel Sepulveda. And Sepulveda does a beautiful Venus. Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts, excuse me. The agents of Atlas Venus, who is a siren of myth, breaks out her powers. And I'm just about half in love with her myself. <laughs> but the agents show up. And we see some horrible, horrible bits and pieces. Ant-Man's, apparently, his fantasy involves Firestar and Ms. Marvel and, and Captain Marvel. And the last thing he says is, all right, everybody get naked. But Scourge, <laughs> who was recently revealed to be old-school Daredevil villain Nuke, is immune to her powers. And then we have a little fighty-fighty. Somebody shoots Namora right in the face, which is actually kind of funny. And we get to the end of the issue. Um, the agents of Atlas have essentially won the fight. And the only one still standing is Scourge. And Scourge gets up. Scourge. And as Marvel Boy, the Uranian, comes out of the ship to get his partners on the ship, Scourge disembowels him on panel. Oh. It's uh, what I like to refer to as a cliffhanger. Really? You think yeah. he's going to live? Um, uh, Marvel Boy? Yeah. Let's see. Marvel <laughs> Boy's first issue was 1951. Yes. He's died seven times. Ah. Gonna... It's it's actually a good ending. It's a really suspenseful ending. Mm -hmm. Jeff Parker um, is actually the gentleman behind the writing on Agents of Atlas. And I think Jeff Parker, Parker may be one of the people at Marvel who's trying to keep the agents in the public eye. I am all for that. Parker puts together a really good story here. He puts a lot of interesting light on the various crazinesses of the Thunderbolts. 
and the perviness of Ant-Man and the flat-out strangeness of the ghost. Yeah. <clears throat> did, you, did you just burp off-panel? Yes, I did off-panel. That's why everybody awesome. could hear it. That was awesome. <laughs> in any case, I think I heard it on Rodrigo's mic. Oh, okay. <laughs> in, in any case, this is a really good issue. This is probably my favorite issue of Thunderbolt since the one where Nick Fury got shot in the face repeatedly. Excellent. I'm going to go with uh, probably four slices of the meat loaf. Excellent. So Paul Vida delivers some really good, very moody art, but also very expressive. He writes that that fine line between the dark and the gritty and the actually showing me something. And Jeff Parker is one of my new favorites. Jeff Parker and Fred Van Lent mm-hmm. right now, for me, are Marvel's saviors. Mm-hmm. If they would put Parker and Van Lent together on a book, I'd buy two issues. Now watch Quesada do that. Well, I was going to say, what what happens if they take Bendis and, and, and uh, Van Lent and put them together on a series? I'll buy half the issue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate Michael Bendis. I like Brian Bendis's work. I do. Okay. I feel like Jeff Parker is more fun. And I think it, it may be my initial, you know, my my built-in distrust of the people in charge. But it seems like, you know, uh, Jeff Parker is working in the, the edges of the Marvel Universe and working mm-hmm. with characters like Gorilla Man and the human robot and guys that you can do something meaningful with to where it doesn't affect the revenue streams negatively if something bad happens. Right, How about so- the cost? You're so. probably not going to see Jeff Parker appear on Amazing Spider-Man or... I hope so. That'd be awesome. Or Captain America. I would love to see Jeff Parker's Captain America. Are you Are you listening, Joe Quesada? Yeah, because Matthew is, in fact, your target audience. <laughs> yes. And he works in a comic book shop, so he can force it upon other people. Hey, Holden McNeil said it best. Overweight and underweight guys who can't get laid. These are our bread and butter. <laughs> Yes, but you have a kid, so that kind of negates half the argument. All that proves is that I got <laughs> laid once, sir. Well, By the way, that's one. the fourth appearance of the phrase got laid in this show. <laughs> All right, so and, two, two titles that are probably still on the store shelves if you head out this week. Now, this is a holiday week, so you're not going to be able to show up to the store on Thursday. Well, maybe Thursday early. You're certainly not going to be able to get there on Friday. Maybe on Saturday for return day, but you'll certainly want to get there on Wednesday to get your comics and maybe pick up Ghostbusters, Displaced Aggression number four, or Thunderbolts 139, one from IDW, one from Marvel Comics. And and don't forget the Power Man. Oh, and, girl, the, and the Power Girl number seven from Rodrigo. He says he gave it an I liked it status. And uh, you know what's interesting about this series? I, I haven't had a chance to read it all the way through. Um, do you remember Maxima, Superman's uh, woman? The woman yep. that claims that she's in love and must marry Superman? Yep. There's almost the same kind of character reverse. There's a man that's, you know, super strong and and can defeat, uh, no one can defeat him. And he looks at Power Girl and he's thinking she might make an ideal mate. So That's Vartox, my friend. Vartox is, that who it is? is old school. But it's, it's the same thing is, as Maxima, right? Is that what it is? Is he kind of the same kind of... Oh, I don't know. Vartox is old school. We're talking like pre-crisis 1974. Cool. Vartox is actually, uh, I believe, meant to be a reference to Sean Connery in Zardoz. Well, it certainly has got the uh, cheesy mustache, the bandolero, mm-hmm. and the speedos, and the, and the hair all exactly. over, so... I, haven't, I didn't realize that Vartox existed in the post-crisis arc. 
So that's kind of nice for me. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read this yet. It's next on my stack. I've been so busy. I There are so many comics that I'm getting backed up on, including ones that uh, companies send us, like the the Incorruptible from last week and and uh, and Zorro coming up next week. Zorro number 18 from Dynamite Entertainment. We want to thank all those publishers who do give us an advanced sneak peek at some of the titles. And for the companies that don't send it to us, uh, like the ones we reviewed today, uh, you know, that's okay. Um, we're still going to review your stuff. So there you go. All right, Matthew. Reviews are over. It's the holidays. Yes. Jingle bells. Are you listening? It's time. For the millions of elves in attendance. And the 17 elves at home. And by the way, I don't know who the elf is in the picture, but get me her phone number because, <laughs> oh, wow, hubba hubba zoot zoot. <laughs> it's time. Each year the list is made. It is checked once, then twice. A fat man enters your home without your knowledge, and this time it's not me pilfering petty cash. No, no, no. <laughs> Santa Claus is coming. And every year you must ask yourself the initial question of initialness, which is probably not the word that I meant. Have you been naughty? Or have you been nice? <laughs> I'm sorry, this girl is distracting me. She's got them big brown eyes. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I didn't put up the picture that I was going to use, so. She looks like a girl named Natasha who used to work at my call center. I see. Too much information. Oh, Okay. So what are we talking about here, Matthew? Is this the major spoilers North Pole of the week? Ha-ha! Ha-ha! <laughs> have you been so naughty or have you been nice this year? Well, I, I had to go, obviously, with naughty because I am an ineffectual middle management suck-up. Oh, I, yeah. I work for an evil corporation. And everybody has to hate you, right? No, actually, they like me just fine. They hate my boss, upon whom I blame all of my decisions. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, I'm sorry. It's my boss who did it. It was Dion. Dion did it, I tell you. <laughs> Curse that Dion. Little do they know him. that Matthew Peterson secretly is Dion in disguise. Well, actually, Dion is just an inflatable guy. That I, I, <laughs> I, I hey, Hello, hey, my too name much is information. <laughs> Uh, so oh, Matthew has been like that. All right. <laughs> no, no. I hear Mika Tan's working at the Mustang Ranch. <laughs> yeah, actually, she is. January fifteenth, two thousand ten. Um, have I been Are you naughty safe or nice? <laughs> I'm going to vote naughty nice. for you too. <laughs> no, no, I'm a that's I'm an angel. Fifth, that's the fifth porn star reference in a show where we said get laid <laughs> now five times. <laughs> actually, I've been pretty nice this year. Trying to do all my duties. Trying to do family you things. Said Duty. <laughs> doing all the family things, doing all the work things. I haven't fired anybody. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't drank too much. I've stayed away from the drugs. So I'm going to say nice this year. I only fired like 19 people this year. Wow. Okay. That's, that's. I wow. think you should choose naughty for misspelling naughty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to choose that for misspelling naughty. I think that's a robot overlord that did that actually. Was it? Yep. Let's look. His spell Hang checker. Up. His spell checker is off. Oh my god! I can't believe that I questioned the robot overlord. You are gonna get in trouble. No! No! They're all gonna laugh at you. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Stephen, uh, yeah. voting yourself nice, yes, is an old family tradition. 
Uh, 53% of spoilerites right now. 152 votes in. Probably a little lower because of the holiday. 53% of spoilerites claim that they are nice. I've seen what happens on the forums. And I know we have that, you know, don't ask, don't tell, but mm-hmm. 47% admit the truth that they are naughty. But in a way, as Gomer says, naughty is its own reward. That's it all I'm saying. Be. It can be. It can be. I'm just the girl it, in the hat. Mm. Oh, that's just the part of the picture that I cropped, Matthew. Yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> sure that the hat was all she was wearing. <laughs> I, don't I know the websites you search. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Uh, so, you know, it's just like one of those Christmas throwaway www.yellowfever.com. I, I am surprised at the number of people, how close this is. I, and I think people understood that this was just a, a goof kind of question. Sure. 53% nice, 47% naughty. Well, major spoilerites are nice. Remember my birthday was last week. I like the color red and comic books before 1973. I don't think you got any of those presents, though, did you? If you're hot and rich, meet me by the nacho cart. Actually, I did. Did you really? My daughter got me issue one of uh, Star Rider and the Peace Machine. Okay, so give us a quick retro review of that. The first appearance of the Steel Chameleon. Um, it's interesting. It's black and white. It's very mid eighties black and white indie comic. Okay. So the, the art on the various stories is up and down. Richard Comley, who invented, um, who created rather Captain Canuck. Right. Also created, I believe, the Steel Chameleon. Some of the dialogue is just laughable, but oh my God, it's fun. So why and did, there's why did a character you... in it. Go There's ahead. a character in it named, uh, I believe his name is Computer Jones. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Why, why, did, why did you want this as opposed to, like, Amazing First Fantasy appearance 15? appearance of Steel Chameleon. Well, what's the Steel Chameleon? What's his powers? He's, he's made of steel he, and he's a chameleon? He's kind of like the target, the human target or nemesis in that he's ah, a master okay. of disguise. Okay, all right. Well, that's kind of cool. But he's also like a rock star, and everybody calls him Steel Chameleon. And my <laughs> God, that girl's eyes are distracting. Kind of like Max Damage that we talked she's about last like, week. With uh, she's beckoning me, asking me. Okay, well maybe we better stop it there. Uh, head over yeah, to MajorSpoilers.com website. Cast your vote before the twenty fourth, because you never know who might be watching. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. And if you say naughty, then he's going to chop your head off with a machete. (laughs) Santa Claus is coming. And we'll be right back. Hi, Major Spoiler Arts. This is Navar. I just wanted to chime in on the best and the worst of 2009. Uh, It goes without saying for anyone that visits the site, I'm a frequent visitor. Uh, It's one small step in my plan for global domination. But I've seen the site grow more active each day. Uh, we've picked up some new members who, along with the faithful regulars, have added a lot to the forum. I think the addition of the regular Critical Hit podcast and the delineation for role-playing games in the forum has uh, really helped bring in some new members. Uh, there seems to be a good crossover between comic readers and players of RPGs. And being both, I'm pleased to be with the expansion. It's hard to find anything to complain about, and I'm not a complainer, so let me simply say thank you to Stephen, Matthew, Rodrigo, uh, the contributors, and every member who makes Major Spoilers such a success. Steve Rogers is alive, Kitty isn't dead, and Major Spoilers is the best. Happy holidays, everyone. That was a preview of what you might expect from next week's Best and Worst of 2009 show. Now, how is that going to work? Well... 
It's a show that we want as much feedback, as much input, as many phone calls as we possibly can. Matthew and I would rather just shut up and listen to you guys talk for an hour and a half. Exactly. And if you would like to contribute to the show, all you need to do is call our Major Spoilers hotline, which is what, Matthew? 785-727-1939. That was the week that was. And we really want to get as many audio recordings as we can for the show. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to have you guys provide feedback. And really, you guys need to be calling the show like every week, because if you haven't figured it out, we've got this built-in break now as we use the uh, the pause time to check our recording. It'd be a great time for anyone to call in and voice and shout out their thoughts. I think you can record up to like two and a half minutes, something like that. Can't record a lot, but it's enough to get your, your thoughts out. We would Hello, really, this really... is the Popa, and I would like to send a shout-out to yo mama. Ha! We would really, really, really like to get as many people to participate in next week's show as possible. So what I want you to do is start calling the hotline right now. Oh, there it goes. Lighten up right now, Matthew. All five lines. All no, five lines. Good. Excellent. Good work, future people. Okay, so... This week in our Major Spoilers trade paperback, we are doing something that Matthew had suggested, which is not a future title. It's certainly uh, something from a long, long time ago. Not 19, long, well, long. 25 years for some of our listeners. That's like the year before they were born. For some of our panel members, that's like the year before they were born. <laughs> well, he's not but here this week to, uh, to defend himself. So Squadron yeah, Supreme, yeah. written by uh, Mark Grunwald, uh, with pencils Grunwald. by... Gruenwald, sorry. Uh, John Pushema, Bob Hall, Paul Ryan, mm-hmm. Paul Neary. All right. All doing, uh, doing pencil work on this series. 12-issue series uh, <coughs> that takes a look at, well, let me just read this a little bit. Freed from the constraints of keeping the uh, Earth looking like our, well, I can't even read this. My eyes are really this bad this week. Mark Gruenwald. Free from the constraints of keeping Earth looking at least superficially like our own and tying into the continuity of other books, Mark Gruenwald explored the ramifications of superheroes taking over the world to save it from itself. A pre-Watchmen Watchmen, it substitutes that book's cynicism with a sense of humor and history. I don't know if it substitutes a lot of humor for oh, it the does. cynicism. Definitely- I mean, there's some funny bits now. Matthew, well, why don't you give us... Why don't you give us a little kind of, I don't know, give us some history on the Squadron Supreme, because the Squadron okay. Supreme that we are reviewing is not uh-huh. the Squadron Supreme that's around today. Correct. What's The Squadron Supreme that's around today is basically Squadron Supreme 2.0. Right. Reboot. Um, I don't know if anybody is familiar with comics earlier than 1993, but back in the day, about the time that you know Stan Lee left... Marvel Comics in the early 70s, it became very much a fan-run organization. Still is today, actually. But guys like Len Wein and um, Steve Gerber, people like, uh, what's his face? Roy Thomas. Yeah, that guy. All started working at Marvel. And there came a point where I believe, I think it was Len Wein was writing the Justice League of America, Mm -hmm. and Roy Thomas was writing the Avengers. And since they couldn't do a crossover, they did a fake crossover. In Avengers 85, characters approximating the then-current membership of the Justice League appeared as the Squadron Supreme. Right. And then 
at the same time, heroes approximating the then-current Avengers, or somewhat close, appeared in Justice League. Hmm. Now, the difference between what DC did and what Marvel did was that Marvel kept bringing these characters back. Right. Now, what's really confusing is that some of the Squadron Supreme members are identical to members of an Earth-616 superhero team or villain team called the Squadron Sinister. Right. And that's what, if you try to read this frickin' wiki entry, if you have never read the original Squadron Supreme and you try to read the wiki entry, your head is going to spin faster than that little train running around underneath your Christmas tree. The basic breakdown is this. Earth-712 is an alternate universe to the Marvel Universe. Right. The characters on Earth-712, these characters, are very much analogous to the Justice League. Oh, yeah, very much? Yes, almost. Well, that's something we'll talk about in a moment. Marvel Earth Squadron Sinister is a Marvel Earth knockoff created to emulate these characters. Uh-huh. All you really need to know is that in this series, mm-hmm. the Squadron Supreme is just coming off having been mind-controlled by a couple of villains they literally took over the Earth, took over their world by force, right, and became the governing body of the planet. Which is when they were when they were released from the mind control, basically their whole world collapsed. And that's kind of where the issue starts off with the characters coming together in their fallen satellite and saying, "Hey, we were just controlling the Earth, and why don't we take control of the Earth?" But why don't we do it for the right reasons? Well, true. But we never knew what uh, Mastermind or whatever the uh, character's name was. Overmind. Was, Overmind. We never really figured out. I mean, obviously, he wanted to take over the Earth, but we don't know what for or why. How do we know he wouldn't be a benevolent leader very much like Darkseid? Uh, because the Overmind was a <laughs> psycho. And he was controlled by a demon named Null, the Living Darkness. Yes. That story takes place in Avengers, or excuse me, Defenders 111 through 113. It's an excellent story which features a full run of Avengers, a full run of Defenders, and Vision and the Scarlet Witch. And do they also also feature the Squadron Supreme in that? Uh Uh-huh. They travel to Squadron's Earth and find that the Squadron has been mind-controlled and taken over their world. Okay. Which leaves us at the beginning of this issue. And this is a Squadron Supreme that approximates the Justice League in its satellite era. So you have Hyperion. Superman, Superman, right? Uh, Power Princess, who's essentially Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. You have Doctor Spectrum, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. the Whizzer. <laughs> Me after Daddy. five beers. You have Captain Hawk, who's essentially Hawk Not Man. Hawk Man, right? The Golden Archer and his girlfriend Lady Lark, who are Green essentially Arrow Green Arrow and, and Black, uh, Black Canary. Canary. Yeah. You have Nighthawk, who's sort of analogous to Batman. Batman, yes. You have Tom Thumb, who is essentially Oberon. the Adam. No, the Oberon. No, he's the Adam. No, because he's a little short. I mean, the, the, well, he doesn't have he shrinking powers, but isn't, don't you remember the, was it JLI, JLE, which just JLI was years after this. Okay, okay. So maybe it's the other way around, but I just, first exactly. I read this, and again, I'm reading this coming from it 25 years later, knowing a lot about the Justice League, not so right. much about Marvel. So I looked at this character and I'm like, oh, that's Oberon. Right. And Nuke, who's essentially based on Firestorm, who had now, just joined the League at the time. Now, that's the other one. I, a lot of people say Firestorm, but I kept mm-hmm. thinking Captain Adam. This is 1985. Captain Adam hadn't been uh, pulled into the DC Universe yet. Okay. This book predates Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right, by a few which years. Which was Captain like Adam's... 
Yeah, 85? 85. But like yeah. 86 was when the crisis started. Captain Adam was not streamlined into the DC universe until Crisis on Infinite Earths brought in Earth 4, which I want to say was Crisis number 6. But in any case... Firestorm was a member of the League at this time, so he's okay. definitely the Firestorm analog. Okay. Uh, Arcana, who's essentially Zatanna. Zatanna, right. And I think that may be everybody. Let's Hang see. On. Blue Eagle, Golden Archer, Lady Lark, Nuke, yeah. Tom Thumb, Wizard, uh, Skrullin Skymaster. The Skrullian Skymaster does to be not Martian, appear. Is that supposed to be Martian Manhunter, though? Yes. Uh, okay. The Amphibian. Aquaman. Aquaman. Amphibian well, has... The most telling role, actually, here in that Amphibian's characterization predates Aquaman's characterization as basically the same guy several years later. Interesting. So, Firestorm, definitely right. the Justice. Okay, that's fine. I, it's just, you know, again, coming from these from different areas, um, you know, might cause some confusion for people. But the thing that's just so smack in your face about this whole thing is... They make no, they don't apologize. This is like the powers are duplicated. The, some mm -hmm. of the origin stuff is duplicated. I mean, uh, Hyperion is, uh, if I hadn't been raised by my loving parents, my adoptive parents from this family and told yep. da, 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 and then you learn a Nighthawk's background and, and you go and you see Amphibian going down and talking to the, uh, the dolphins and, and saying, oh, so so-and-so had her babies yet, da-da-da-da. And then the uh, the Green Arrow and, and Black Canary stories and the Wizard. I mean, it's just like, I am. what I'm really surprised with these characters in this book is that DC did not sue. Now, granted, in 85, there may have been some different things. If they have done that today, they would have gotten someone like you, Matthew, to be an expert witness to go in and find, like, 70 points of similarities in which they could sue Marvel for this kind of stuff. Well, at the time that the squadron was created, it was a two-sided deal. Right. And the Heroes of Angar did later appear in DC Comics. Now, I don't think they did anything here that is actionable. And the main reason why is that these characters are not, by any means, by any stretch of the imagination, designed to mock the Justice League or to try and steal away the Justice League's thunder. This is a story that you can't tell with the Justice League. Well, you this could, is a story but that you really, not if you want to have. Think that, do you think that DC would have ever? I mean, that's a kind of the problem, and and one of the reasons why they let Watchmen get manipulated the way it did was there's almost not enough. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, enough guts to say, hey, let's take these characters in this direction and see what happens. Because they could have, DC very well could have told a story like this, just like with the Watchmen and how they wanted to tell that story using some specific characters, but couldn't. But I don't think they would ever try. Yeah, and that's the problem. I, I guess that's kind of a bad thing for DCs. But, you know, so I'm, a, I'm commending Marvel for doing what they've done in this story, where essentially Hyperion says... Hey, we need to unmask. We need to take over the world. We need to use our powers to their maximum. We need to use these gifts and we need to use them to our fullest potential. We can't, you know, shortchange people, which is very similar to that book we reviewed um, a couple of months ago. Do, 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 do from Top Cow. Mm -hmm. Or is it Image? Do you remember what the title was? I forget it off the top of my head at the moment. 
Um, Maybe, I'm not sure what you're talking about. It's the people that had the powers, the comet flew over, and then they had the combined powers. Oh, Rising Stars. Yeah, Rising Stars. Very, kind of the same similar kind of theme, of course. Ironically, Joe Straczynski, who wrote Rising Stars, is also the man behind Supreme Power, Ah. which is a reworking of these characters. Okay. But the thing that they do at the end of issue one, Mm -hmm. or at the end of the first chapter, if you read the collection, is very important. They unmask. Right. They all give up their secret identities and go public and say, we are now going to, going to Russia in a new age. But you'll notice that who doesn't participate? Kyle well, the, Richmond, the, Nighthawk, Nighthawk the who's the president of the United States, who right. doesn't agree with this plan at all. In fact, uh, and this is the thing that's kind of almost, la- it's not laughable, but it's just, aha, I see what you're doing in the lead line chambers of, uh, of his mansion, he has this green glowing rock that's the only mm-hmm. thing that can bring down Hyperion, and he has Argonite. this moral quandary, should I shape this into a bullet and kill my friend? I'm going to shape it into a bullet and almost kill my friend, but then at the last minute he kind of chickens out and says, I he don't changes, agree with it, but let's see what happens. He changes his mind and that he's not willing to give up everything to try and save the world. Right. Because he's not sure that the world needs saving. What's what's interesting about this, it's old, granted, and it was written at a time in comics when you had to do, you were editorially mandated to do a lot more expositional dialogue. Oh, God. So especially at the beginning of chapters, you'll get a whole lot of exposition because Shooter's Marvel required that you have it. Well, it and, it's not even, into, and it's not even in the first early chapters of... Of the issue, I mean, you get later no, on. No, the beginning of each chapter of the story. Oh, okay, okay. A recap. Because there but, is just times where these people are standing around and jabber jaw on their mouths to no end, and it's like you've got a panel that 95% of it is filled with word balloons, and then shoved into the corner is Wonder Woman, or shoved into the corner is, is Superman. And it's just like, come on, just get on with the story. Don't make me read, you know, 50 million Superman. words. I know. <laughs> and also important... Words are part of the whole thing. It is, and it, you know, they, it. I, and I think it's part of that style. Concept. You know, I think it's part of that style where, in order to tell the origin story of someone, and again, this goes back into that first chapter. They're standing around the the table, and you know, one of them goes, "Oh, you may remember how I got my powers way back in nineteen blah 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 blah, and then this happened, and that's how I got my powers." And it's like, really. In, in in one you, sense, it's moving the story it, ahead. No, I'm just saying from the time You're looking period, at it from the current perspective. Right. At the point in time that this was written, comic books had much, much more awkward Oh, yeah. Please me, I know. I know. And this is, this is a point in time when, you know, there was no rising stars. The mm-hmm. Punisher was still a villain. Wolverine was a relatively minor character. He was starting to really blow up in 85, Mm -hmm. but this was a completely different reality. And at the point in time that this book came out, I remember being stunned by how much, how literate it felt and Mm -hmm. how much there was to read and Mm -hmm. how much, you know, you had to actually read it. It wasn't just a fight scene that somebody put some clever dialogue over. Right. There's actual moral quandaries and dilemmas. And that's what I starts in, in the very first issue. Yeah. Where Amphibian, you know, they all vote whether they're going to do this, and Amphibian votes no, and he gets outvoted, and they do it anyway. Well, yeah, because he says, you know, are are you going to go with the majority rule, or do we have to do something to you? And he's like, hey, I'm just going to go back to whatever Aqualand is and say, uh, do my thing. 
and leaves him alone. Same way with uh, with Nighthawk. You know, fine, go ahead, be president. You know, uh, Hyperion goes and visits him and says, I'm sorry, we we don't see eye to eye from the superhero perspective. I hope we can still be friends. And at the same time, you know, Nighthawk has to go through this problem of, do I shoot Hyperion in the back in front of the world and he goes down a martyr for the cause and I come off as John Wilkes Booth kind of essentially is what he's he's asking. You know, every character that we meet, and there's a lot of characters, go through some kind of, of moral issue. Tom Thumb right. feels like he's not getting any, he's not really feels like he has no reason to participate no in this respect. team. He gets no respect, he gets passed over. And mm-hmm. so he starts building his computer and working on his computer and um, Nuke comes in and says, hey, my parents are dying from cancer. Do you think this is from me? They find out that his powers are increasing, that, yes, possibly he could he could uh, be yep. the cause for their cancer. And then Tom Thumb has this great idea that he will cure cancer. And he's just yep. driven insane by this notion that if I can cure cancer, people will see me as something of worth, something that can be a savior, something that can be a part of society. And he can't solve the cancer problem. And he almost goes about it in a cheat. He actually travels to the future to meet with mm-hmm. one of the, the nemeses of, of the team and strikes the a bargain. Scarlet Centurion. Which is a silly kind of, I think that, that headdress that he wears is really kind of silly, but hey. Yeah, that wasn't super created hero. here, by the way. <laughs> Scarlet Centurion is an existing Marvel villain. Oh, okay. Um, but he goes, hey, Give me the cure to cancer, and you can even take my life. Anything you want. And then, of course, uh, the bad guy says, hey, you have to kill Hyperion. He goes, no, I can't do that. I can do anything else but kill my friend. And then, of course, he goes back to the future later, breaks into the lab, and says, where is the cure for cancer? And they're like, everything on that shelf will cure cancer. And he brings it back to our time and finds out it's nothing more than penicillin and and some other regular antibiotics that we would have today. And then postulates that, oh, the human body has developed to a point where it doesn't get cancer. And these are the big problems that people have as a future. And, oh, by the way, now I have cancer. And then this is the part of the story that I hated. And one of the things that kind of ruined this whole series for me, instead of seeing him go through the process of like Nuke's parents did, where we see them in certain panels just really looking like crap and then passing away and seeing the after effects like that, there's one little black panel that says, a few days later, Tom Thumb died of cancer. And that's the end of the now, issue. Now, hang on. You are completely mutating the timeline. Tom discovers he has cancer in issue two. Right, right. And he dies in, like, issue nine. I know, but we don't so see... So for seven issues, we see Tom's bits of the story where he's getting more and more haggard and more and more tired. And I, dealing I struck with that his, up. His disease. I struck that up as, or I chalked it up or credit it to him forcing himself to stay awake in order to try to solve these problems in that given amount of time. But it's just in like issue two. They said Tom realized he had cancer. He said right, it on right. panel. No, no, I understand that, but we don't, I mean, he's not, he's not ravaged. It just, it, but it's whatever the point is, it's this last panel. It says one week later, while working in his laboratory on another project to better the human condition, Thomas Thompson, Tom. also known as Tom thumb passed away. And that and it just is seems like the- an, afterthought it's almost like no no that's the point they're not going to show us that tom died they show us the last things that he does as a hero and he tries really hard to be a hero he almost betrays everything that he stands for when he steals from the scarlet centurion right right and then he ends up going back to the future and giving them back the potion that he stole and then he dies because some things you can't beat 
It may be kind of a ham-fisted approach. I think but it is. it's an approach I don't. I, I think it's awesome. And I love that bit. They don't show us Tom passing away because well, he's a, he's a hero. I question, he dies off panel. Great. Then don't even include that final panel and start the next yeah. issue as the yeah. issue started with Tom and his his capsule casket with everyone standing around mourning and say Tom Thumb passed away from You're cancer. Wrong. Well, You're you wrong. may you may think so, but that's my opinion on it. And, See, this and that's is before fine. they wrote for the trade. Well, that's true too. Issue nine is a fully self-contained issue where, mm-hmm. yeah, they touch on what's happening with Hyperion and Power Princess. But issue nine is pretty much all about Tom Thumb. Mm-hmm. What is Tom Thumb going to do? He's at the point where he knows he can't cure cancer. He knows that he's not going to do it. And he realizes, he remembers, you know, the quick interaction he had with Scarlet Centurion earlier in the series. And he decides that he's going to betray his principles, go to the future, and steal the potion. Right. And then he gets back and he realizes it's not going to work anyway. So he returns it because during the fight, all the potion was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So the reason he went back to the future was to make sure that nobody else would die because he had that moment of selfishness, that moment yeah. of weakness. Yeah. Plus there was a problem I with those kids. That, well, there is that. That's, that's why he had to go back to the future. So exactly. what is, what's but going also on? also important is throughout that arc, Tom proves himself to be as quietly heroic as anybody on the team with and their capes and their masks. And, and the that's fun fine. I just don't like how they just like, <coughs> like he's dead. That's the point. That's the, I just don't like, you know, I just don't like that it's, ending panel to that issue. That's the it's one actually problem a that I have about death. And it's just, okay, he died. That's fine. It's not, he just passed away. He did everything he could. And then he died. People just die. Well, I know that. And Tom Thumb just died. That was that was unheard of in 1986. You gotta listen. I mean, think you weren't there, man. 1986, nobody died in comics, unless you count the Joker, and he'd always come back. There were three people who were dead in 1986. There was Bucky, Captain Marvel, and the Hangman. Maybe the Comet, but these are the only people who were dead. Thomas and then Martha Tom Lane. Thumb, Tom Thumb does everything he does, and he Uncle he finally ben. goes to the future, and and he does all this stuff, and and he dies anyway. There you go. That's that's fine. That's you know, I think the panel before where he says, "I'm going to go wrong. back to the future, and I'm going to return what I've stolen," that would have been a perfect ending to it because you're like, "Here's the noble person." Then the more shocker is you start the next issue, and it's his funeral, and then you've got reaction, and that. That then has a lot more, to me, impact if it were single issues. Let's move on. That's fine. What's going on with this plan to make the world better? Nobody seems to like it. The citizens are kind of apprehensive of these people. Let's talk about the citizens for a minute. The Justice League took over the world. They gave up the reins, and then they said, oh, wait, now we're going to take over the world again. Right. You'd be nervous, too. Right. And some of the things that they're planning to do make sense. They eliminate hunger. Mm-hmm. Because they distribute the food themselves and they distribute it evenly, right. and they eliminate crime, and they they actually go to an extreme that I don't think you could get away with today in today's political climate. They eliminate firearms. They collect all the guns and destroy them. Well, and that's something that's kind of really important to talk about because you know here they go along and you know they say, hey, we're not going to take away anyone's rights, and then for citizens in the United States, they take away one of our rights. But then they give them what they consider to be an equal payback in the force field belts. Again, right, it's right. 
it's a statement on the nature of absolute power. They're asking, as they go through this, you see the squadron making concession after concession mm-hmm. and maybe betraying their principles or at least bending what they consider to be the rules. The primary thing that comes up is to, to finally get rid of crime, Tom Thumb creates this behavior modification device where you can program someone's mind to take away their criminal antisocial tendencies. <laughs> you know, Doc Savage used to do that, too, except he just used a needle and jabbed it up into your skull and twirled it around. Well, and, you know, when you think about it, you have to say to yourself, you know, right there, they should have known something was wrong. They all vote, and only, again, Aquaman, the amphibian, says, maybe we should reconsider this whole brain thing. Right. But they pass it. Again, amphibian is outnumbered. And they start using this behavior modification device. They use it on their own villains, and the villains become productive members of the Squadron Supreme. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they start using it on criminals, and the criminals become productive members of society, and the squadron makes sure they have jobs and makes sure they have a place to live and food to eat. From the perspective of, is it a successful system, you have to say to some degree, yes. But again, by creating behavior modification, they've crossed that moral line where you're saying, how can you save somebody if you're changing who they are intrinsically? Right. Now, so you're tampering you, with someone's mind. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's a good idea for someone? Let's just say that you, mm-hmm. Matthew Peterson, suddenly mm-hmm. obtain all powers. We have every had power this out discussion. there. I know we have, but some listeners you are coming into this show really late. Would okay. you? Would you try to do what the Squadron Supreme is doing in this series and and? essentially take over the earth to make people better? Would you essentially become the parent to all of these stupid little children that are running around that you need, that you, and that's how the Squadron Supreme view it, that they need to correct these bad things? I would like to say no, but I think that it's a natural progression. If you have this kind of power, Mm -hmm. you're going to want to use that power to make things better. That was an air quote. Right. But when you make things better, you have to ask yourself whose definition of better. Right. The, the whole the whole point of this series is in issue one, they make a decision mm-hmm. and we're dealing with the consequences of it. The decision right. is we're going to take responsibility for the world and everyone in it. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably not. Honestly, knowing my nature and human nature I would probably use my powers to make sure the benefit of Matthew and anybody that Matthew (laughs) liked. That is the honest answer, because I think that's what most people would do at the beginning. If you had the ability, if you had the ability to do this. Right. But the squadron is acting out of essentially the best, what they perceive to be the best interests of the world. So you can't really say, Even when you look at a move like the behavior modification machine and you look at that and go, you're really crossing a line, you can't really say that they did it for a bad reason. The problem comes, though, that technology exists. How do we use it? Mm -hmm. And, of course, Green Arrow, the golden archer, uses it to make his girlfriend love him again after she decides she doesn't. Yeah, we did have that discussion quite a while ago. This would uh, be back in like the 20s or something. And that's the point where things get really real. And the squadron has to make a decision. 
you know, this has happened. Mm-hmm. Someone has utilized their technology to do something completely counter to what they intended to do. Right. And that's the, th- that's the straw that breaks the camel's back for Amphibian. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the point where Aquaman goes and breaks all the existing machines, shatters them all, quits the team and never comes back. And then what's Batman doing this? I mean, sorry, Nighthawk doing this entire time. He's running around with Bouncing Boy and Plastic Man and okay. uh, take, let's take a moment Car. Here. If Nighthawk is Batman mm-hmm. and the characters that he is going and, and recruiting are his old villains, let's look at the analogies. So we okay. have the Mink, who is this sexy girl who may have an existing relationship with him. Yep, she woman. has kind of an animally powers. Okay. Then you have... The Remnant, who's this weird, tall, spindly guy with funny colored hair. Mm-hmm. Green, uh, uh, question. No. Eh, okay, so I guess you could go with Joker, sure. He's kind of a Joker. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is probably the, the biggest stretch for me, but I think it's the closest character fit if you look at Batman villains. Who's the rotund, mostly comical Batman villain? Penguin. Ah, okay. But he so, inflates himself. That's why I kept going Bouncing right. Boy. It's not the best fit, but right. you know when you look at Remnant, Remnant has powers that aren't Joker based. Yeah, but Remnant, I think, is pretty clearly a Joker type analog. He's not mm-hmm. the same character, but he's the character where I look at those three characters and I think, okay, well, if Nighthawk is Batman, and these are his three greatest villains, that's the Joker, the Penguin, and the Catwoman. Right. And I really think that if you look at Batman's Rogues Gallery, nobody else fits. Mm-hmm. So it may be something where they wanted, you know, they wanted a mink, a Catwoman type character. Mm-hmm. And then the other guys were just some guys that they had lying around. That's fine. But, I can, but, but the whole thing is he's, to, he goes to Marvel's universe, the 616 world. And hooks up with Captain try, America. Yeah, he spends an issue trying to recruit Captain America and then realizes it's not fair for him to drag other people into his world again. Mm-hmm. Every time we've seen the Squadron Supreme, they've been mind controlled and... The Avengers have to save them for right. all intents and purposes. Right. So he's decided that he's going to find help at home and gathers his own three greatest villains to form the core of his redeemers. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense, you know, go with the enemy you know. Right. Meanwhile, the wildest and most obnoxious plot twist of all happens. While Nighthawk is off having his little thingama. Master Menace, who's certainly not Lex Luthor, but is the greatest <laughs> the greatest villain of Hyperion's life. Remember when I talked about the Squadron Sinister being created as analogs of the Squadron Supreme? Right, right. Even though they, they appeared first? Right. Master Menace reaches into the time stream and manages to drag out the Marvel 616 version of Hyperion. Yes. Who's been trapped in the multiverse ever since he had a fight with Thor. Some years ago. Mm-hmm. I have that issue, by the way. It's not bad. Okay. And he has a plan to supplement the existing Hyperion, the good noble Hyperion, with this evil Hyperion, this bizarre O <laughs> Hyperion, and subjugate his place and take his place in the Squadron Supreme. And the evil Hyperion, even the evil Hyperion, who's this two-dimensional villain from the 70s, has a moral quandary in that he starts to fall in love with Princess Power. Right. And he turns on his ally for the love of Princess Power. That sounds noble. He also kills Princess Power's elderly husband, who is certainly not Steve Trevor. <laughs> yes. It's and, just, you know, and that's part, I, I guess I should say to the listeners who are 
contemplating and listening to me saying how much I dislike the series or what appears to be disliking the series. If you really want to see, remember when Stan Lee, the DC did that, the Stan Lee presents the DC universe and, and what would have happened if Stan Lee created Batman? What would have happened if Stan Lee would have created the flash? Remember that series? Yeah, it wasn't really all that it, good. It wasn't, but the idea was, hey, let's give Marvel a hand at, at tweaking our characters. That's what's so fascinating about this series is how does Marvel tweak the characters? And from that standpoint, I like that a lot. I know it's kind of annoying to the point where it's like, oh, wow, there's some. there could possibly be some lawsuit involved. But at the same time... There's no lawsuit. No, I There's know. no actionable information. What it is is well, your suspension of disbelief. You go into this knowing... That the Squadron Supreme is analogous to the I, Justice. No, League. I didn't know that going into this book, to be honest with you. Well, we ordered the book. It came in. I started reading, and I was like, oh, Superman, Batman, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You know, they didn't do you a lot read of... Supreme Power? No, I haven't read that yet. Oh, okay. That's on our list. I haven't read that yet. Um, oh, you know, yeah. there are so many lawsuits over movies, uh, between movies, because of this plot point is similar to my plot point. And they actually go in, and they see how many points of similarities they are and that's how the judge will rule whether you know an injunction or money reward should be done had and i I know you said this already that there was some yes marvel did this dc did this you know if there had been ever a problem marvel just said hey we're just going to do this we don't care what you do dc there would be some similarities in here where dc could say hey you're really stealing our characters and that's the point of a lot of lawsuits that we've had over time including marvel man including um Oh, what's a, what's another one that I'm thinking of that I can't remember off the top of my head? Where it's like, hey, your character is so similar uh, the Shazam uh, character and 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 Marvel uh, Captain Marvel uh, similarities with names and those kinds of things, which prevent the characters from going on. Regardless of that, I like how they're taking these characters, these tropes of what you see as a as a superhero team and what makes up these teams, uh, and makes it work in this story. Very much and like we talked about with Rising you- Sun that you see a lot of those similarities in there, it works in the story. But you see things that, especially in 86, had never been done. Yes, that's true. Hyperion falling in love with Power Princess, Superman Mm -hmm. and Wonder Woman as a couple. Yeah, people talked about it, but it had never really been really looked at. And, you know, to take what those characters would be like. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this is at a time when Lois and Clark were not married. Right. This is at a time when, you know, Wonder Woman was a simpler character in a lot of ways. But it's also at a time where, you know, it's obvious if you read this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are analogies. There are similarities. They're obviously inspired by DC's characters. Right. But this is not a Justice League story. No, it's not. You couldn't tell it as a Justice League story. Right. Because it would require Superman to do some things that are very unsuperman like yeah, including when Superman comes out to his uh, Lori, his girlfriend mm. or the love interest says, "Sorry, I'm." Or he, just, he says, "We yeah. can't get it on because it would uh, kill you, and we can't have kids." Sorry, bye. I'm an alien, but yeah. the best part about that is he admits to her first that I've been masquerading as Mark Melton, your right. coworker. She's right. like, "Yes, I suspected as much." Right. So, or the point where he finally beats his his his. Uh, duplicate to death and mm-hmm. the duplicate suddenly turns into this weird crystalline shape where he's like all blotchy and facety is almost if he comes from a, a square kind of world a bizarre world somewhere yeah i yeah, actually but, saw that in my coloring and i don't know if you're looking at the original series or not but mm-hmm. um as i was reading this 
I see the the gray, and I'm thinking he's a robot underneath. That's what kind of a, it kind of came off to me when you first look at the panel. He's uh, a creature. Yeah, and that's fine too. He, Even if he had been a robot, you know, some kind of robot like that, it would have been fine. Um, so what ha- ends up happening, Matthew? Wrap up this this story and how everything kind of falls apart. Nighthawk gathers many old villains. And a few new characters, characters that no one is familiar with, mm-hmm. and takes the new characters and actually infiltrates the squadron. And with the help of Lex Menace, I mean Master Luthor, <laughs> Master Menace, finds a way to override the programming of the behavior modification device, turning the villains in the squadron against them, and it all turns into a big schmageggy. But I've read a lot of Fighty Fighty. This is one of the first times that I've been that I had been exposed to a real great big cluster schmoz. Right. And it has consequences. When Nighthawk and his redeemers finally come forward and tell the Squadron Supreme, you know, you're done, you're no longer going to be running reality, and just start beating the bejesus out of them. Yeah, in every way, shape, and impossible, dropping what, giant rocks on their heads and yeah, it's really in the sky. Awful. And... It's an awful fight. And there's a yeah. point where the Golden Archer is about to fire at somebody and the blue eagle swings down out of the sky and busts his head open with a mace yeah it's one of the more realistic if you can say that any super speed superhero battle is realistic Mm -hmm. one of the more realistic battles i've ever run into in that there are real consequences and you you can see you know, this occurred before everything else. And I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up here in a moment with my thoughts on yeah. before everything else. But, you know, you can see Mark Wade's kingdom come playing out in these final pages of the book. Mm-hmm. You can see elements of Watchmen in this book. Yeah, you can see that as well. You can see elements of a lot of things that came later. Rising stars. Mm-hmm. The supreme power is the obvious one. But you can also see elements of what would eventually become the image universe in that you have a take on characters that do what they do for a reason that's not entirely heroic in nature. Mm-hmm. You can see the building blocks of what Marvel and DC have been doing for the last 15 years in this book. Right. It's kind of a roadmap, a, a kind of a first, I don't want to say a first draft because it is a good story, but right. uh, you can kind of see this is a roadmap to where maybe both companies would, would go to yeah. in the future. Why don't you read you some get- of the, oh, go ahead. You get to the end of the story and, you know, all the characters are standing in the morgue and you realize, you know, yeah, there's, a there's lot of an actual bodies. human cost here. Yeah. There are dead superheroes. D-E-D dead. And again, yep. this is 86, not as by any means something that you'd see all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, feedback came from, and by the way, Jimmy Thudpucker had a Sunday <laughs> feedback. <laughs> Um, There's a lot of feedback this week, and you you know what I'll say is most of the feedback that's up on the Major Spoilers uh, website talking about this issue has been nothing but positive. Because they get it and you don't. No, I'm not saying I don't get it. I'm just saying there are certain things that I don't like, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. And you're wrong. Uh, One of our regular spoilerites kicks in this. Dear Matthew, Stephen, and Rodrigo. Hello, I am still here hiding in the bathroom. I hope it's not too late for the next podcast. When I heard you were going to review Squadron Supreme, I had to write in. It's my single favorite comic story. If I had to get rid of my entire collection except for one trade, this is the one I'd keep. The original, by the way. 
you can see just how much Mark Gruenwald cared about the story he wanted to tell and how much work and love he put into it. The thing that keeps coming back on Squadron Supreme is the thought-provoking nature of that central dilemma, namely the mind-wiping that they use as a means of preventing crime. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's one of the big things that we've talked into. Readers are immediately shown how easy it is to abuse, and you're left wondering how much of the happy, content behavior of the criminals who volunteer for the process is genuine. With the surviving members who've been fixed after the mind wipes, you still don't know for sure because some stay close to squadron members while others are back to their old sociopathic selves. You can't really say which way is natural for the characters in the end. Um, she also states the series is practically a love letter to DC Comics. I, I have to agree there. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not Bouncing Boy, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Roadwald addresses stuff that could never be addressed with the leaguers in their own universe. Zarda staying young and vital while her human husband ages is one of the most poignant moments for me. I agree with that, by the way. It's not a perfect series. The multiple artists damage the flow. And while I understand the need for recaps in each issue, it does get a bit repetitive in the trade format. That's one of your biggest things. That is one of my biggest problems. The biggest flaw is the wordiness to the modern reader in 80s comic as a rule looks like a wall of text. Right. But the guru had so many ideas he wanted to share that the story can occasionally get overwhelmed by text box and speeches. Sincerely, Melanie Mela, Mila, Mila Nazelrod. I, you know, that's again the thing that I mentioned before. It's just the text. And I don't know if they've shrunk this. I don't know if you're looking in the trade or what, but there is a good, I, I don't know, half inch margin all Who the way are you around. Talking to? You. Yeah. Uh, there's a good half inch margin all the way around the page in this trade. And I don't know if they had to shrink the art into the page or not. But when you get a wall of text like that and you have to shrink it down or you have to put that much into this amount of space, it can actually get a little hard to read. And this is coming from someone who does have some eyesight problems. But uh, I can imagine some other people looking at all the little text and going, I, I'm not going to take the time to read this. For the modern art audience, yes, going through this is going to be hard to digest. In the 80s, when maybe you don't know where your comics are coming from, how often they're coming to. I know you and I, Matthew, have talked before about, um, you know, you going down to the corner drugstore and not knowing mm-hmm. if the new comic was going to come in. And I was the same way. I was not privy to any schedules growing up and, and being in high school and, and being able to go to the comic book shop once a month to try to find stuff. So it could be very easily lost. Um, so I can understand her point of view on on the wordiness uh who else do we have uh we've got greg a i absolutely absolutely one of my favorite miniseries of all time since none of the characters were a-list characters they could go to places the regular dc or marvel titles couldn't heroes would have to deal with the ramifications of their powers nuke and his family dr spectrum and his uh, fight with nuke hyperion using his powers powerfully and so on and so forth a superman wonder woman romance not so much in the dcu but it has given some face time with hyperion and power princess if i have any complaint with this trade the tie-in with captain america doesn't exactly work for me i feel it's tacked on Granted, today the tie-in would probably be with Wolverine, so I shouldn't complain too loudly. <laughs> I read the last issue in the very same sitting I read the last days of the Justice Society, so as you can imagine, I was depressed for the rest of the day. The series and team, like so many other Marvel projects created in the 70s, uh, seems to fluctuate between forgotten, cult classic, and popular. Hopefully, even after the failed Chaken relaunch, it will swing back to popular. One hopes. This is a great series. Let's, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. 
We're going to say meteor. <laughs> meteor. That's how I was going to say it. Meteor. Uh, a cousin of Toki Wartooth says, <laughs> this is a fantastic mini that took a bunch of joke characters from the Avengers title and turned it into a very human, superhuman story. Mark Gruenwald was a fantastic writer. Marvel seriously needs to reprint this trade. And it is available. That's- I should say it's available in trade. There's no problem picking it up from Amazon. I picked up two of them for probably less than $25 for the pair. So Rodrigo and I uh, could take yeah. a listen to it. And speaking of Rodrigo, let's take a Rodrigo. listen to this. Hey, Major Spoiler Rights. I'm Rodrigo, and I'm phoning in my performance today because eh, we don't do that joke every time at all. Um, so we're doing Squadron Supreme this week, and I actually took it home with me to the Great White North, which is incidentally a lot less cold than uh, the Western Plains, apparently. Um, Squadron Supreme... You know, I came into it thinking this is one of those books that kind of takes a look at that uh, superhero condition. What do superpowered people do when they have to make decisions like normal people do kind of thing? Um, so I wasn't, obviously, you know, there's a lot of stuff here that I've seen before in other books, but this apparently, according to the uh, back page, predates every awesome book ever. Um in the end, after reading all of it, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff, there's a lot of interesting ideas, but I felt that the book ends up undermining its own uh, message a lot of the time. Every time uh, something, you know, thought-provoking happens, it is immediately done away by a supervillain dropping out of nowhere or by them just taking a lot of time to explore other concepts or by Tom Thumb feeling very short and unappreciated. Um, and, you know, it gets to the end, and the Utopia project actually works. It actually functions. What they're trying to get across is that, no, this is wrong, but it actually works. And after its completion, Nighthawk shows up, and he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to kick your butt. And then he kicks their butt, and they're like, oh, well, maybe we were wrong since you beat us up. Um, I would recommend this to people who want to get into the exploration of what Marvel thinks DC characters are like. But other than that, I would say pass on it. I would give it two slices of meatloaf. It's cool. Cool things happen in it. Didn't particularly care for it. Um, Also, I went to see The Princess and the Frog. It's pretty cool. Uh, Trumpet playing alligator in it. That was kind of cool. I was concerned that it was going to be kind of weird in a not PC kind of way, but they handled everything okay. Um, so that's about it. Um, I hope you spoilerites are having a great holiday. Matthew, hope you're doing good. Steven, hope you're also doing good. Blah, 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 critical hit. I'll talk to you guys later. Yes, yeah, so Rodrigo, you know, good thoughts from Rodrigo. Of course, we get a little tacked on Princess, uh, Princess and the Frog review there. Rodrigo and I have had this discussion before, and we may have mentioned it on the show, Matthew, and this is kind of where, I guess, maybe my problems with the issue, or I guess my perceived problems with the issue, they may not be perceived problems. I can see why I don't like this. Rodrigo and I have talked before that uh, for students today, for students in my video production classes, they've never watched Citizen Kane, and when you try to discuss Citizen Kane and how it's so great, they're like, yeah, but... XYZ movie has done this and and this movie over here has done this and that movie over there has done this. So I really don't care about Citizen Kane. 
And as mm-hmm. I'm reading through this book, I'm seeing the same reaction. And of course, me, I'm sitting there bashing my head against the wall going, what do you mean you don't care about Citizen Kane? It's one of the greatest movies ever created for this reason. You know, it's this, 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 and this. And I list off like a dozen plus reasons why this is such a great series or a great movie. So then I come to Squadron Supreme. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, I've already seen this and this and already seen this and this. So I have this epiphany that, yes, I'm having the same reaction that students have because they didn't read, they didn't see Citizen Kane for the first time sitting in a film class like you and I did, and maybe even before, uh, where we've experienced it and got to see what the popular ramifications are and how it affected everything else down the road. Same way goes with people who are going to pick up Squadron Supreme and don't don't get it or don't like it like I do because we've already read um, the JSA. We've already read the uh, the Kingdom Come. We've already read Rising Stars. We've already read and seen. All of these other things take place. But the thing is, this is that first instance. This is that Citizen Kane of this type of storytelling. And so, again, my problems come from I've already seen all this stuff in other places, and now I'm reading this, and I'm still trying to cope with, yes, but this came before, and this is why it's good. So everyone who's yep. shout, had been shouting at their their computer or their iPod or whatever goes, Steven, you're an idiot. No, it's not that. I agree with all of these comments no, that people no, are making. No, you are an idiot, but also. You know, I agree with these comments that people are writing. There's some great writing in there. There are some problems with the writing in the fact that he's having to write to that Marvel format and trying to cram so much new ideas in there. In 1985, very acceptable. Today, maybe not as acceptable. The problems with the art, the problems with some of the characterizations, the problems with these stories are not really problems. They are perceptions that the reader is going to have when they read that, if they've read all of these other, for instances, that we've talked about. So my bottom line for this is not that this is a terrible book. I'm saying it may not be everybody's cup of tea if you've read these other things, but it is still a good look at comic book history and a good look at how stories are told and how they evolve down the road. So I'm giving this a good read. I'm not saying that this is a must read, um, but I'm saying it's a good read. I think there's some good stuff in there. Um, so I, I guess I would give it a half thumb up or something. I guess I would give it a thumb up from the aspect of read it for the historical <laughs> purposes, uh, but don't, you know, don't read it for, I don't want to say don't read it for enjoyment because you probably will read it for enjoyment, but it's the same thing that, you know, when I make students watch the citizen Kane, they hate it because they've seen everything before, but yet they're still gaining a lot of perspective of how this event or this book or this movie right. changed the rest of the industry. Don't go into this book expecting civil war. Oh, Don't God. go into this book expecting, you know, for good or ill, final crisis. What this is is a very solid example of storytelling as it was done at Marvel in the 80s. They had to work around, you know, a little bit of an editorial mandate. They had to work around the expectation that every issue had to have a recap and every issue had to identify the characters by name. Right. But they're also working with a probably to date, one of the most realistic canvases I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for a fact that the first time I recognized any type of superhero relationship of a sexual nature was here. Mm hmm. Foxfire and Dr. Spectrum. There's a hint of it between Nighthawk and the Mink. The first time I dealt with, you know, the concept of a superhero having a family 
um, when uh, Arcana gets pregnant halfway through the trade and uses her powers to hide it. Right. This is dealing with, you know, granted, it's not necessarily dealing with them the way that we might deal with them today. Certainly well, not as straightforward. Think about this. If, you, if you've watched that new 90210 television series, go back to the, to the original 90210 series and, and watch the, uh, the Dylan that. versus uh, Shannon Doherty no. have sex episode and everybody made such a big deal of it. It's kind of like this. You know, back then, as Matthew said, a lot of dead people, big deal. Today, meh, seen it. And if you go in, you know, and if you're going to take a look at something, this drives me nuts, by the way. I'm going to go off on a minor tangent. Okay. Recently, a comic magazine, who shall remain nameless, but their mascot is a wizard, uh, did a comparison of the retelling of the Armor War storyline with the original Armor War storyline from 89. With the ultimate comics one that's going on right Right. now? Yeah. They said that the ultimate story was better because – Partly because Tony Stark had a big Jerry curl perm. <laughs> okay, don't go into it and try to measure this by the standards of today. Right. If you're going to read this, you got to understand that you're getting something that's not the same as a civil war, but it is the underpinnings of what civil war became. This is a really, really good series. And, you know, they reprint it with an Alex Ross cover, which makes me angry. Because <laughs> you go in, you're like, oh, look, Alex Roth covered, and you read the book. This book is the building blocks for some of the, you know, some of the serious game changer comics. This book is a precursor to Watchmen. It's analogous to so roughly the same time as Dark Knight, and it's looking at similar, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. It is one of the first times that you actually ask the question, what happens if superheroes use their power to take over the world? Right. What happens when absolute power essentially corrupts? These are, you know, relatively realistic, very realistic for 86 characters. They have families, they have fears. You know, at certain points, the wizard keeps freaking out because he wants to run away. And with his powers, he has to actively fight to not run away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the golden archer comes back as one of Nighthawk's redeemers trying to trying to come back and, and recognize, you know, and make up for the horrible thing that he does early in the series. The characters deal with these moral dilemmas, and they don't always deal with them well. Mm-hmm. They don't always do the right thing, and that's what makes it interesting. And this is one of the first times that we saw that in comics. So if you go in expecting to compare this to last week's New Avengers, yeah, it's going to seem wordy. It's going to seem out of time it's going to seem somewhat non-contemporary right but if you look at it as what it is as a very good story told in a manner that isn't exactly modern then you're going to have a lot of fun with this book and i highly recommend it i will put your thumb up okay i got three thumbs up for this book all right so there you go squadron supreme from marvel it is available for trade check it out i think it, it is worth checking out and you might want to check it out from your local library first and then decide if you want to purchase it. That's all I'm saying. You might want to after reading it. Certainly some of the uh, feedback that we had this week was favorite comic of all time, etc. So I think that wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Uh, this weekend on Saturday, I do believe that there is a show. I don't know what's going on with that. Matthew hasn't told us. Uh, but the <laughs> next week, next You're not week, even going to be here. I'm just going to take command of the show. <laughs> And next, do whatever I want. Next week, remember that 2009 Best of 2009 show. It's all about your participation. So we need you to participate. And I know that there are thousands of you downloading and listening to the show. 
I expect thousands of, well, I expect hundreds of you to provide some commentary and feedback. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge chance? Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Start raving rich like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read up on all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun in the Middle East with a gang sign throwing soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.